0: We had been in a uh, series in First Thessalonians for a while, and we got to First Thessalonians four three. For this is the will of God your sanctification. And so we're taking a little detour for a few weeks uh, just to talk about the subject of sanctification. And we're going to get at today get at that subject today from Romans chapter six. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, Romans chapter six. We're going to start in verse one. Uh, you can also find it printed, the text printed in your bulletin. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we do give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that we can gather and hear it proclaimed. Uh, God, I pray that you would be gracious and speak through me as sinner, that you would use me in spite of me, And that you would open our hearts uh, to hear the message of the gospel and the good news of the gospel. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, 2013, there was a man named Jesse. He was living in Portland, Oregon. And his hobbies were going to music festivals and smoking dope and eating lots of macaroni and cheese. That's that's what he says he was into. Uh, One day he was riding his bike to work as he did every day. And he came to a four-way stop. He went through the stop and somebody ran the stop sign coming from the other direction. He's on a bicycle. They were going about 40 miles an hour when they plowed into him. His heart actually stopped for a time. The accident was so bad. He woke up 17 days later in the hospital. He'd been in a coma the entire time. He had a tracheotomy. He was paralyzed from the waist down. He says he remembered he he just was to the point that he wanted to die he saw that his life in his in his eyes his life was going to be no good his parents were going to have to take care of him in his entire life he didn't want to go on like this one day he said his, his head started jerking involuntarily his arms started jerking involuntarily and he said you know I guess I'm about to get what I've been wishing for I guess I'm about to die here and he said at that point he actually got really angry about everything and about the fact that he was about to die but in this process he he kind of lost that he just didn't have enough energy anymore even to be angry and as that anger started kind of slipping away he said all these good memories about his life started flooding in he began to be very grateful for the people who had loved him well, and for the people who had come to visit him in the hospital. And he said he began to to, to look at the sky even and and just appreciate the shade of blue that it was and the, the taste of an apple and just all of these things about life he hadn't appreciated before. Well, it turns out he actually got better. And over the course of five months, he started to walk again. And he started to see how superficially he had lived life Before and he really wanted to to do life differently now. And even though he walked slowly, and he was deaf in one ear now, and he was in constant pain, he says he actually likes his new life better. He likes his new life better. So much so that he wanted to go and find the person who had run over him, not to, to be mad at them, but to thank them. Because he was so grateful for the way his life it changed as a result of this death, as it were. Uh, he was so grateful, even changed his name from, from Jesse to Jabana, which means giver of life. A total transformation. Uh, we're in this series on sanctification, and we're looking at Romans chapter 6 today, which is a lot about death. Chapter 6 follows the first or, or follows three chapters of Romans which are these chapters where Paul really lays out the gospel uh, to its fullest. He he emphasizes that we are not saved by our works, but we're saved through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, that we are to rest in what He has done and not anything that we do. In chapter 5, he assures us that we now have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. Through the obedience of God, we have righteousness. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say uh, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The fact that you and I are big sinners just makes God's grace that much more amazing. Someone might be listening to this and say, okay, if I have nothing to do with my salvation if my works have nothing to do with it i don't contribute anything to it and if the largeness of my sin even magnifies how gracious god is well what's the why bother trying to be good why don't i just go and do whatever i want to do why don't i just live in that way uh last week we as we were wrapping up the sermon i mentioned a quote from martin luther where Martin Luther told somebody to go and sin boldly and then to come back and to confess their sin. And Luther was dealing with somebody who couldn't grasp that salvation was not about our work, but it was about the work of Jesus Christ. And he was trying to emphasize that, even using hyperbole to the point of saying, go sin and then come confess it. It's not about you, it's about what Jesus has done. Paul here is dealing with someone not on this end of the spectrum, but on the other end of the spectrum. Somebody who says, well... Alright then, if it's really all about Jesus, I'm just going to go and do whatever I want to do. W.H. Uh, Alden once said, I like committing crimes, God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirable, admirably arranged. Like, I like this arrangement. I like, I like the sin, God likes to forgive, this is a good arrangement. I'm going to keep sinning, He's going to keep forgiving. Does the gospel actually encourage that? Does what Paul has laid out in Romans 3-5 through 5 actually encourage that type of attitude? And his answer here in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 is, by no means, certainly not. Are you, are you crazy? It's probably what it says in the message. I didn't look. Are, are, you, are you crazy? How can grace that is meant to make us more like Christ actually make us less like Christ? Christ how can medicine given us by God that's meant to heal the disease actually make the disease worse you've got to be kidding me Paul says if, if you and I are in Christ if we have placed our faith in Christ then we are new people you're a new Percy a new person you were you were Jesse and now you're Giovanna. you were saul and now you're Paul, You've had an experience with death. And now there's a new you who is dead to sin and alive to God. You've got a new name. You've got a new identity. You're a new person. You no longer live under the rule of sin. Now, you might be saying, oh, okay, that, that all sounds nice, but what's the, like the practical value of all this? Are you saying then that Christians don't sin anymore? Because I feel like I'm still pretty good at sinning and most of the other people I know who are, say they're Christians, they seem to still be pretty good at sinning too. What's the point of Paul saying we're dead to sin? Does this have any real practical advantage in me growing and becoming more like Jesus? Well, I want to unpack that by looking, just really drilling down on two verses in this section. Verse 2 And verse 6, which I think are going to show us why the gospel of grace doesn't promote sin, but actually creates and fosters holiness in our lives. So verse 2, Paul's answer, By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Alright? Paul says that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have died to sin. So what does that mean? All right, what, what, is, what does that even mean that if I'm a believer of Jesus, in Jesus Christ, I have died to sin? Some people say that this means that Christians don't feel or respond to temptation any longer. That sin doesn't really influence you anymore. And the problem with that is it's just wrong. Uh, John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, here in verses 12 and 13, Paul urges Christians not to sin. He wouldn't have to urge us not to sin if we weren't still tempted to sin. Uh, A second view says that Paul is telling us we ought to die to sin. But it's very plain here that he's not saying you ought to die to sin. He's saying you're dead to sin. You died to sin. Uh, A third view is that well, we daily die more and more to sin. Now the Bible actually does teach that. There's a sense in which that's true. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying here, he's pointing to a death that's already happened. He's pointing to a death that's already happened. So what's he getting at? I think what he's doing is he's talking about believers being removed from, are dying to, the reign and rule of sin. You're going to have to kind of hang with me for this for a minute. He's talking about us being transferred from one country to, to another country, from one ruler to another ruler, from one dominion to another dominion. The Christian has been moved out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We've been moved out of the kingdom of sin and into the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, Verse 10 tells us Christ died to sin. Verse 8 tells us we died with Christ. Verse 2 then, we died to sin because we died with Christ and so sin is pictured almost as this force that rules over us before we come to know Jesus Christ and once we come to know Christ we're removed from this area where sin is ruling over us to a place where the grace of Jesus Christ is ruling over us so that we've actually died to the rule of sin everybody got that? Let me try to illustrate this. Uh, this is an illustration from a really old movie, and if you've heard me preach this passage, I use the same illustration every time because it, like, it's the only thing that makes this make sense to me. Uh, this movie is about 20 years old. It's called The Matrix. Um, for, those of you, for those of you who haven't seen this movie, let me, let me kind of set it up for you for just a minute. Here's the storyline. Uh, humans create machines with artificial intelligence which we're actually doing this now and and these machines are solar powered and the machines for some reason they start to not like the humans and start taking over the world and the humans can't figure out what to do and so they somehow blacken the atmosphere so the machines can't run off the light of the sun All right, you with me? And so what the machines do to now that they need energy is they imprison people in these little cocoons. So picture like a big clear Easter egg, uh, big enough for a person to be in, and like you're in it kind of like this, and there's all these wires coming out of you. And they feed you intravenously, and then they suck the energy out of your body that your body is producing. So how do they keep everybody from like trying to break out of here? Well, they have this computer-generated reality that they pipe into your heads and it basically creates this dream world. And so you think you're kind of living a normal, happy life when reality you're in a cocoon slowly dying and having the energy sucked out of you. And that computer-generated reality is called the matrix. You think everything's okay, but it's really not. So here's a conversation. Uh, in which Morpheus, who has escaped from the Matrix, uh, who's played by Lawrence Fishburne, is trying to convince Neo, who's played by Keanu Reeves, to come out of the Matrix. And if you haven't seen this, just the chance to see an old Keanu Reeves movie. Why would you pass that up? Anyway, um, here's the conversation. Morpheus says, you feel it. You felt it your whole life. There's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's but it's there like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. The matrix. Do you want to know what it is? It's everywhere. It's all around us, even now in this room. You can see it when you look out your window or turn you can't see it when you look out your window or turn on your TV. You can feel it when you go to work, to church, to pay your taxes. It's the world that's been pulled over your eyes to blind you to the truth. What truth? That you're a slave, Neo. You were born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. You can't be told what it is. You have to see it for yourself. Take the blue pill and the story ends. You wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. Take the red pill and you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering you is the truth. So here's... Neo in slavery even though he doesn't know that he's in slavery. But the Bible speaks of that very idea. Jesus says that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. In fact, the Bible says we're all born into slavery to sin. And, and so in that sense we're like Neo. We're in bondage. We're in a prison. Sin dominates and rules over us. And when you're in it, you don't even really See it. You don't see your own slavery. You think you're free when you're actually not, and yet you know that there's something wrong with the world. It's like that splinter in your mind driving you mad. You know that there's something that's off. But Jesus comes and he says, We're in slavery, but he doesn't stop there. He also offers us freedom. He gives us sight so that we can see the world as it really is. And so, becoming a Christian. It's about seeing. It's about being free. And it's about being freed not just from the guilt of sin, but it's about being freed from the power of sin as well. Being freed from slavery to sin. Being freed from the dominion of sin. Uh, in The Matrix, Neo takes the blue pill and he's pulled out of this little cocoon that he's been living in and he's dropped into this big river of Put this big pool of water by Morpheus, and so he's he's dropped into the water, and then Morpheus pulls him back out, and it's it's almost like he's been baptized. It's almost like he's been reborn, even because he's not a slave any longer, and he's no longer under the dominion of the matrix. He's no longer under the rule of the matrix. And what Paul is getting at, he's saying, look, if you're a Christian, you've been pulled out of the matrix of sin. You've been pulled out of this prison that you were in and you didn't even really realize it. It's been ruling your very existence. Sucking the life out of you. Killing you. And now you're free. You're not trapped by that any longer. Colossians 1.13. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. You're free. You are not bound and enslaved to that dominion to that kingdom any longer now that doesn't mean that Christians no longer sin but it does mean that sin no longer rules over you Uh, verse 7 one who dies has been set free from sin one who dies has been set free from sin you may obey sin but you no longer have to obey sin and it, no, it makes no sense to continue to obey sin. It would be like a slave going back to their former master and saying, here I am, put me to work, I'm here to do whatever you want me to do. And Paul says, no, we you died to that. You don't have to do that any longer. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Uh, a couple of years ago there was a South Korean golfer who played on the pga tour and he was called up for military service back in south korea because he was still a south korean citizen and he tried to get out of it but he couldn't get out of it because at the end of the day he was still a citizen of that country but imagine if before he got that call to duty he had changed his citizenship So that he was now a citizen of the United States of America. When that call to duty came from South Korea, he would have been able to say, you you can't tell me what to do any longer. I'm no longer under your authority. I'm no longer under your rule. You have no authority over me. And that's what the Christian is actually free to do now when sin comes knocking. You're free to say, you have no authority over me. I don't have to listen to you any longer. I'm free. And we have to say that to ourselves. And we have to say that to Satan. Uh, we We have to say that to sin. And we have to learn to embrace our identity as freed sons and daughters of the king. Now, the second reason the gospel doesn't promote sin Uh, And and really, this is just kind of another way of getting at the same thing. But verse 6, Paul tells us, our old self was crucified. Our old self was crucified. He doesn't say our old self is dying slowly. He doesn't say our old self is still hanging around and bugging us. He says the old self is dead, crucified, finished. Our old self, our old man, that old person who lived under the rule and the reign of sin is dead. But now I'm converted. I'm a new creation. Paul is here and Saul is dead. Giovanna is here and Jesse is dead. We're we're not the people we once were. The people we were have died. Now, if if you came to Christ early in your life, it, it may be hard to kind of grasp this picture because you don't really remember when your life was that much different from, from what it is like now but those of you who are converted later in life you you get this you get this imagery you, you understand that you're really not the same person that you used to be there has been this radical change in your life so much so that old friends might walk up to you now and it's like they're like who who are you like I don't even I don't even recognize you don't even seem like the same person that I used to know why is that why is that because your old self your self that was under the dominion of sin is dead and your new self now lives under the dominion and rule of Jesus Christ we've died to sin our old self has been crucified with him We walk in newness of life. We're alive to God. The dominating influence in our life used to be sin, and now it's Jesus. And as surely as Jesus has risen, we too, in some sense, are risen now and will rise. How's that all possible? Well, it's possible because of what we talked about last week, and I won't go into it too much today, but it's possible because of our union with Jesus Christ. Uh, We talk about union with Christ as Christ is our legal representative before God, but there's also this mystical, spiritual connection between the believer and Jesus Christ. Uh, It's 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 like we're connected by a rope, or we're we're bound together, or there's like a he's our IV fluid, like we're drawing life from him. Uh, He's the tree; we're one of the branches. We we are indwelt by Christ. There's this union between the believer and Jesus Christ. And that union is so real that while it is accurate to say that Jesus died for us, it's also accurate to say that we died with him. And that we were crucified with him. And that we are risen with him. And so sin and death no longer have dominion over us because they no longer have dominion over Jesus. Man, like Jesus so to rescue us, Jesus brought himself under the rule and the dominion of sin, even though he didn't sin, he, he tasted the power of sin in his death for us. But then he defeated sin and he defeated death and he rose from the dead. And now verse nine, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so Jesus' release, He came into this dominion and His release from this dominion brings us with Him. Alright, I put it like this to go back to my movie illustration. Jesus came into the matrix to destroy the matrix and to pull us out of the matrix. And that all happens through faith in Him. And so now instead of being dead to sin, we're actually alive to God. We're actually alive to God. And so even though the law now functions differently in our lives prior to our conversion the law of God like we, we hear the commandments of God and he was like oh and it just condemns you and just hearing it doesn't enable you to keep it at all it just makes these demands and it condemns us when we don't keep it it exposes our sin and it aggravates our sin but it does nothing to release us from bondage to sin the law is just this condemning power hanging over us but now believer in Jesus Christ you're not under that anymore you're no longer under the condemnation of sin and the law you've been removed from that country where law and sin and death reigned over you and you've been placed in a place where the ruling power is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that's what dominates your life now and that's why it says it makes no sense to say that the gospel promotes sin. Now, I know that's kind of technical and kind of in the deep end of the pool today. Let me let me make some application from all that. Uh, I want to give you one warning and then three points of encouragement. First of all, the warning. If, if your life is not characterized by a growing love for Jesus Christ, if it just kind of looks the same as it did before then you really can't make a claim to be a Christian do Christians still sin yes Christians still sin but more and more their sin grieves them more and more their sin actually tastes bad to them do they sometimes struggle with areas of ongoing sin in their lives yes but they don't just sit there happily they actively engage in the fight against sin because they cannot, by the nature of the case, have dominion over them any longer. Now, encouragement. Three points of encouragement. This really should cause us to rejoice. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this should cause you to rejoice because what this means is not only do I not have to free myself from the guilt of sin, Jesus takes care of that. I also am not responsible for freeing myself from the power of sin. Jesus has already done that. He has liberated you from the reign and the rule of sin. You're not in the matrix anymore. You've been pulled out. And I I think we don't realize that how radically different our position is is now in Christ. We have been pulled out of the dominion of sin. We've been pulled out of prison. We have been set free. And so we have to learn to live like free people. Now, a second point of encouragement. Seeing that that life that you were in was actually bondage, that that life that you were in was actually enslaving, should encourage us and help us not to want to go running back to it. You're alive to God. You were you were dead in your sins. Why would you want to run back? Why would you want to want to run back to a place that imprisoned us and was killing us? There's a, a character in the matrix named Cypher and he's been pulled out. But it's life is kind of hard sometimes outside of there. And he's not he's living in the real world and it's not an illusion anymore. But he wants to go back in. He wants them just to put that computer-generated reality back in his head where he's eating the steak and he knows it's not a real steak, but it tastes like a real steak. He's like, just put me back in there and let me live under the illusion. I know that I'm going to die in there. I know it's sucking the life out of me, but that's better than being here. When you're tempted to run back to sin, picture yourself in that little cocoon with the life slowly being sucked out of you enslaved by the things that were killing you. Why would we run back to that when we have freedom in Christ? And then thirdly, and finally, learn who you are. Learn who you are. What is, listen to what Paul tells us to do after he elaborates on this. The first thing he says is, you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And in Paul's mind, that's this huge component to sanctification that we like. I don't think we ever really think about this. Like, I have to consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does that look like? So so think about this. Imagine that uh, you were renting a house from someone that was just mean to you all the time. And they were rude. And they would make unreasonable demands. And they would show up without calling you. And they would walk in without knocking. And they towed your friend's car when they came over to visit because they didn't have the stupid sticker. Uh, and they wouldn't let you turn up the heat over 55 in the winter. Kind of like living in my house. And they were, they, were, they were always threatening to sue you. And you're like, Man, this is this terrible relationship. But let's say you found somewhere else to live. And you moved out and someone paid off all of your rent and you're living in this brand new place and everything seems great but then one day a few weeks later that old landlord shows up and he doesn't knock he just comes barging into your house and he's demanding money from you and he's threatening to sue you and for a moment you're kind of scared and you start to to write the check to him but then you remember wait a minute i'm not your tenant anymore you're not my landlord any longer I don't owe you anything. And you look at him and you stare him down and you tell him to leave. Believer in Jesus Christ, you are free to do that. Now, when sin comes knocking, you don't have to listen anymore. You are free to stare sin in the eye and say, get out of my house and slam the door in his face. Sinclair Ferguson tells a story of an Oriental student he had named Timothy. He's from the Far East and um, his family name was, was Oriental even though he went by Timothy. And Sinclair Ferguson wanted to know, like, well, what's your name actually in your native language? He says, Timothy, what's your real name? He says, Timothy. He says, yeah, yeah, but in your native language, what's your real name? He said, Timothy. It's like, okay, what's the name that your parents gave you? and at this point he responds with his oriental name and so a singular virgin says okay so that's your real name but you must use Timothy because it's easier for westerners to say or, or makes them more at ease and he says no Timothy is my real name that's the name I was given when I was baptized Timothy is my real name that's the name I was given when I was baptized that's who I am Believer in Jesus Christ. You are not who you were. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God and you've been given a new name. Live like you have a new name. Live like you have a new name. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to grasp what we have just talked about and this is, is difficult and maybe a little heady. Um, but this is, this is from You. This is from Your Word. And You tell us that we are dead to sin and that we have to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to You. And so help us to do that. Uh, help us to believe this. Help us to believe that we have new names and that we are new people and that we are free from the reign of sin. It can't dominate us any longer. Thank You. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.